0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley.
1: We do welcome you in. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Have you for the next hour or so as we talk all things Brewers baseball, continuing to look back at the season and also look forward to the offseason and next season as uh, see if the Brewers can get over that proverbial hump from being one team out of the World Series to being able to qualify for the World Series next year couple housekeeping items that we always do here at the top of the program. If you need to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter, at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast, and there's all kinds of ways you can listen to it, you can listen to it at WTMJ.com, on the WTMJ mobile app, via Stitcher, but if you are someone who listens via Apple Podcast or iTunes, whatever you want to call it, and you can subscribe to the podcast, also that applies to Stitcher as well, And if you can leave a ranking and a review, that would be much, much, much appreciated. On the program this week, our featured conversation is going to be with uh, Kyle Loebner, as uh, we'll look back at the season with him. Of course, you can read him in the Shepherd Express, uh, the Milwaukee Record, at the Timber Rattlers uh, website as well. So uh, he is absolutely all over the place, and uh, we will talk with him coming up in just a bit. As we do start the program, something I've been thinking about, because... Uh, we're we do this late on Sunday nights. It's coming up on eight o'clock Sunday evening as I am speaking right now, and so we're a little bit more than a week removed from the season coming to an end. And when you're around a team on a daily basis, when you're talking about a team on the day on a daily basis, it's it, it's it's a very abrupt ending when all of a sudden the uh, the season just comes to an end. And over the course of the past week, as I've spent some time just reflecting on the season and seeing if maybe any of my opinions kind of change as I, I step away from the grind of the day to day, not much. Uh, kind of what I said last week. As a reflection on the season, I can't say that that much has really changed. What a great ride. What a fun season. What an incredible uh, final two months of the season, including October. You know, the September and October were really, really special for this team and special for the fans and uh, continues to be something that it's really fun to look back on and really fun to talk about and something that I hope we get to experience many times over moving forward. There is there is. so much to be proud of from a from a team perspective. I think the Brewers themselves can be very proud of the work that they did. Is there disappointment that continues to sit there because they come up one win short of making it to the World Series? Absolutely. You want to win that one more game. You want to be playing in the World Series. You want it to be the Brewers against the Red Sox instead of the Dodgers against the Red Sox. But to have that overwrite what was just a really fun ride and an enjoyable time. I, I, don't, I don't like that idea. I, I think you can look back on it and say that was a really special season, one of the best seasons in the history of the Milwaukee Brewers. I'll tell kind of a funny story. This is how abrupt the season ends, and I don't know if other people experience this or if I'm just kind of a little bit weird, and, and that could certainly be it, but from a from a body rhythm pattern, I don't know if that's the right way to say it or not, but You know, things all of a sudden changing very much in terms of a schedule where I'm watching a baseball game every single day, doing a post game show, all that sort of stuff, and then the season just ends. Generally, when that happens, it is uh, I'll wake up in the morning and not completely know where I'm at or what's going on, that sort of thing. I used to really have a bad when I worked in minor league baseball as a broadcaster because there'd be so much travel and. I would wake up and feel like I was missing a bus or missing a plane. That happens generally. I broadcast college basketball. um, That generally happens at the end of the college basketball season. There's a period of time where I'm waking up thinking that I've overslept uh, a plane. But this past week, I wake up and I look to my phone as I wake up. And it was when there was the day that, and we'll talk more about this in headlines of the week in just a moment. It was the day that uh, the team had announced some staff changes on the coaching staff. And my initial thought was, why in the world are they announcing coaching staff changes in the middle of the season? They're still playing. And it took me a little while to wake up and realize they're not playing. The season's been over for a few days. Come on. So that is the abruptness that is the season coming to an end. And I think from a fan perspective, I I talk to people all the time who said, I don't know what to do with myself at night. I've been watching baseball every single night for the better part of six months, and now all of a sudden it's just gone. It's not there anymore. And it's a chance for us to all go do other things, which is nice. But I I think whether you cover it, whether you're just watching it as a fan, listening to it as a fan, baseball is the one sport where if you are are committed to it, if it's a big part of your day-to-day life, man, it feels different when the season comes to an end. All right. As mentioned, uh, Kyle Loebner is going to join us in just a few moments. But before we get to that, let's get to this, the headlines of the week.
0: It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week.
1: I have a number of things to get to this week. We will start with something that I alluded to a few moments ago. The Brewers announcing some changes on the coaching staff this past week. Darnell Coles, who I think did a really, really good job. And I don't think any coach is a perfect coach, but I thought Darnell Coles did a really great job with this team, and I think you can look at not that every single player improved when they got to the Brewers, but you can look at some guys who got to the Brewers, and as soon as they started working with Darnell Coles, I mean, they took a step forward. You look at a guy like Jesus Aguilar, and he became an all-star. Christian Yelich was a really good player in Miami. He gets to uh, work with Darnell Coles and he becomes the the presumptive MVP. There's a lot of guys like that. Even somebody like an Eric Kratz who's been around for a while. Not that he absolutely tore it up with the Brewers, but offensively, I think he was better with the Brewers than he had been before and he was getting better as the season went along. So, uh, Darnell Coles decides to resign. A lot of times when you hear about resignations, uh, especially with somebody who's got a tenure with the organization that he had it's maybe a situation where they're forced out, but they call it a resignation. I don't, I don't get the sense, and maybe it is. Maybe they were trying to be respectful of Coles, and maybe they decided they wanted a new voice in terms of hitting. But the other announcement uh, that they made was that they were not going to be bringing back uh, bullpen coach Lee Tunnel. They also make the decision not to renew the contract of uh, athletic trainer Dan Wright. So, if If the Coles' resignation would have been a singular thing, I would have thought to myself, okay, is he really resigning? Is it really his choice, or is this something that the organization has kind of pushed on him? Because it came at the exact same time and the club did announce that they had uh, declined to renew the contracts of both Tunnel and Dan Wright, it seems different. It seems like uh, there's something more legitimate there with Coles. Coles reportedly wants to... uh, just look at some other opportunities and some other challenges. So I think he did a really good job, and we'll see who ends up getting all those jobs, whether they stay inside of the organization, whether they go outside uh, of the organization. there are certainly, with, with the stability that has existed on this coaching staff for so long, there have been some really good coaches in the minor league ranks who have kind of been you know, there was, uh, they've been blocked, basically. And do they give some of those guys a, a major league opportunity? Or are they trying to find somebody with a completely new voice, meaning it's a voice from outside the organization? I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go and we will just have to wait and see on what that's going to look like. Some awards this past week and uh, some kind of award, I guess, watch list for lack of a better term, if you kind of put it in college basketball terms and college football terms where you always have those end-of-season awards at the end of the season. They always uh, give watch lists. First off, an award that was won, Josh Hader. Uh, He is named the National League reliever of the year for what he was able to do. Clearly, he had a spectacular season, so Hayter named the best reliever in the National League. And then Christian Yelich wins what is Major League Baseball's most prestigious offensive prize, named the uh, National League winner of the Hank Aaron Award that goes to the top offensive player in each league. So uh, we assume that Christian Yelich is going to be the MVP, but that's a really nice honor. That's a, that's a big-time award but for both of them, big-time awards that uh, both of them do receive. And then four players are finalists. This is where I was talking about the watch list deal. I guess finalist is a better term. Four players are finalists, four gold gloves. Uh Lorenzo Kane in center field. You'd gotta think that he has a really good shot of winning that. It's incredible that he has yet to win a gold glove in his career. And there's a lot of good center fielders, don't get me wrong, but you would think Lorenzo Kane would have a really good shot at that. Uh, Christian Yelich is a gold glove finalist in uh, left field. I think of the four, I'd say he's got the second best shot of winning. He played a really nice defensive outfield. And I do think sometimes, even though the Golden Glove Award is supposed to be specifically on defense, I do think sometimes we see the offensive numbers kind of start to play a little bit on the Gold Glove awards. You look uh, over the last ten years or so; seems like a few more offensive-minded players have picked up Gold Gloves. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if he gets it. Manny Pena, catcher; Travis Shaw, third base. Really cool that those guys are finalists for those awards. I I don't expect them to win, but hey, you never know. Crazier things have happened. Uh, the last time that A uh, player has won a gold glove from the Brewers, was Carlos Gomez in 2014. Also, Christian Yelich did previously win a gold glove. Uh, That was with the Marlins back in 2014 as well. So those are this week's headlines of the week.
0: After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers x is the
1: podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Does continue, and uh, as we continue on, happy to be able to welcome on to the program a guy that you can read over at the Timber Rattlers website uh, on the Shepherd Express. Also, uh, he's doing still uh, stuff for uh, the Milwaukee Record recently. He's all over the place, and uh, something he's actually not doing anymore. Something we'll talk about in just a moment. It is uh, Kyle Lobner. Kyle, always good to talk to you. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing all right. How are
1: you? I'm doing all right as well. Um, Let's uh, Before we get into the Brewer stuff, I just want to kind of acknowledge you and something that came to an end uh, at the end of the Brewer's uh, run in the postseason. The uh, the Brew Frosty mug, the daily uh, mug that you did, 11 years of doing it. You've got so much going on. We just mentioned all the other stuff. Uh, all good things come to an end at some point, but uh, 11 years of doing that, it comes to an end here over the last uh, week or so. What's it been like that first week of not putting everything together like you did uh, previously in the morning
0: well, I'm certainly
2: sleeping a lot more um, yeah th- and that was the, the biggest impetus behind it I have been you know it's like you said it's been 11 years now producing the frosty mug every weekday morning uh, with the exception of a few months in 2015 um, so this has become you know it became kind of a, a big part of my identity as a, a Bruce writer um, but with the other volume of things I have going on um, it was time to, to move on from it and so I'm um, I was really glad to get the opportunity to you know, write as much as I did about a really fun Brewer playoff push um, to kind of wrap it up. Um, it certainly would have been a different kind of feeling if I had wrapped up the mug after the 2016 season, for example. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a bit bittersweet. Um, I am still trying to figure out what I do after I wake up in the morning, because it had been you know to my desk by about six o'clock most mornings to work on the mug. Uh, but it's a good problem to have, and it's going to give me the opportunity to put a little more time and energy into some of the other things that are going on in my life.
1: Uh, me. May- this might not be a question you can even answer, but as you look at kind of your emotions and your feelings about the Brewers' season, from the moment of the final pitch that was thrown of Game 7 of the NLCS to, we're talking right now at 6.34 on the evening of Sunday, October 28th, so uh, it's been a little bit more than a week. What Has anything changed in terms of the way that you look back or, or you feel about the way the season went?
2: Um, you know, not a whole lot. I, I will admit that the the closure of the end of the season really hasn't quite set in for me yet. Um, I still kind of find myself channel surfing at night and wondering what time the Brewer game is on. Um, you know, you, you get conditioned to do that. The Brewers played 173 games that counted this season, um, and, and so by the end of that, um, it's a little hard to break that habit. Um, but yeah, it's you know, I, I still think you know, all the way through the postseason. And it certainly would have been fantastic to be writing about the Brewers as they played in the World Series this week. Um, but all the way through, I mean, this season has been just so much fun and there's been so many positive things that have happened. And the way it ended in September and October, it's really hard for me to be bitter about this group or for me to be disappointed um, with the way this worked out. You know, especially when you look at um, you know, the piece I have for Milwaukee Record that ran this week. It was a a piece where we looked, you know, kind of moment by moment at some of the notable occasions that happened through this Brewer season. And there were some times in July and August where this team was really low. Uh, There was a stretch where they allowed grand slams in three consecutive games. You know, there were some really remarkable negative accomplishments uh, this season for this team. And so, for them to turn it around and have the month of September that they had, and then the run in October that they had, um, this is a season we're going to remember for a long time, and justifiably so
1: there's always going to be negative people and I wasn't Planning on talking about this, but since you brought up the low moments, I think it's something that's interesting. There's always going to be negative people. There's always going to be people that's never good enough. There's always going to be, you know, the chicken littles that everything is going wrong. But I can think back to, and you know, I see it firsthand from especially the text line that we have in the WTMJ studio. I see all kinds of stuff, and there's the there's the anonymity that goes along with the text line. So I think I see stuff on that that maybe you don't even see as much of on social media, unless it's the uh, the proverbial egg that sends a but the people who, at the end of that Pittsburgh series, right before the All-Star break, said the season's over. Uh, the people who, even before the team went on the 12-game uh, winning streak, and you know, you're going into that Pittsburgh series that they end up winning 2-3, I can remember going into that series, people saying Craig Council will never lead a team to the playoffs. Do you think any of those people who made those comments that were clearly false— do you think they, they come around at all, or the, for the most part, is that just a, a group of people that are always going to be negative about things?
2: Yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, fatalism is a thing that comes with sports fandom for a lot of folks, um, and, and I've certainly seen it You know, all the years that I was managing editor at Brew Crew Ball, um, and, and one of my jobs there was to uh, navigate and censor a comment section. <laughs> um, I certainly have seen a lot of the same things that you're talking about. Um, and, and on the text line, um, just so you know, those Nigerian princes are not actually Nigerian princes. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, kind of a, across the board, um, there will always be people for whom it's not enough, and there will always be people who in the moment would make a different decision. But I think when you look at the full body of work this year, um, and, and when you look at what David Stearns has been able to do, when you look at the, the buttons that Craig Council was able to push with this team, it's really hard to argue with the, the end result. And I know I saw, you know, some of the B reporters on Twitter uh, quote tweeting back at folks and reminding folks that this is a team that won the most games in franchise history and came one game away from the World Series. Um, because there's always gloom and doom stuff out there, um, and, and some of those folks, you know, some of the, the concerns that people have out there maybe are valid concerns. But at the end of the day, when you look at the full body of work, it's really hard to argue with.
1: We saw. Craig Council really go all in with a certain way of using pitching uh, in October. In the playoffs, we saw kind of a version of that in September. You were able to do it in September because of the 40-man roster, able to do it in October because of all the off days. Uh, Council has even kind of admitted in, in interviews that I've heard, you know, it's going to be tougher to pull that off over the course of 162 games because there's not as many off days and you're dealing with the constraints of a 25-man roster. So how much of what we saw in the way that the Brewers went about things over the final two months of the season, do you think can apply to what's going to happen in the first three, four months of next season?
2: Uh, very little, really, in my mind. I, I think... You know, when you look at the way the Brewers were able to handle their pitching staff all year this year, there were a ton of variables that had to work out well for that to happen. Um, One was that, you know, early in the year, the pitching shuttle that they used, getting guys in and out, sending guys back to Colorado Springs, that really only works when you've got a lot of young pitchers in your organization with options remaining. And so it's really hard to repeat that year over year um, without burning through your depth really quickly because you have guys that you can't send back to the minors. Um, so I think, you know, through April through July, you know, the, the things the Brewers were able to do this year would be a little bit more challenging to do. And then, yeah, when you look at the bullpenning, you know, there's a reason the Brewers were able to use as many relievers as they did in September. It's because they had 30 of them. Um, and, and in October, they were able to to use the off days. But from April through August or so, that would be really difficult for a team to do. And I think if you tried to burn through your bullpen that way, early in the season, um, even if it did work, you would find a team that was very much out of gas and in a poor position to compete down the stretch.
1: We see in minor league baseball, it's a pretty common thing where you'll have tandem pitchers where you've got two guys and they always piggyback each other, and a lot of times they'll alternate uh, who starts one game. And the idea is to get all nine innings out of the two, so five innings from one guy, four innings out of the other. That's the utopian way of looking at it. It doesn't always look that way. And some people have presented that kind of idea for the Brewers because they've got so many guys who could potentially be starters. Again, I think from a utopian standpoint, point that kind of makes sense but you all of a sudden have a day where both those guys are bad and neither of those guys can maybe go more than two innings and all of a sudden it's the fifth inning and you have had a bad day and you know that can just that can domino effect into some really bad things for the days moving forward and we know that that Craig council is really really good at making decisions in the regular season with Tomorrow and the next day and the next day in mind. I think that's one of his strengths. Uh, you know, never, never focusing too much on the single game that maybe you win one game today, but you lose the next three because of it. Uh, so again, that's kind of a, a scary proposition because of what could happen if it goes wrong one single time.
2: Yeah, I think you know I, I see the tandem system used an awful lot here in Appleton with the Timber Rattlers. Um, uh, it, it's a very common practice in the low levels of the minor leagues. But at this level, it's not necessarily because there's so many pitchers you want to develop. It's because of innings limits. Um, you know, so if you get two guys who go back to back four innings, um, you still get the opportunity to stretch both those guys out without stretching them out too far. To try to use it from a strategic standpoint with winning in mind at the major leagues, um, it probably wouldn't be a terrible idea on the day you do it. But the biggest challenge would be, Managing what amounts to two roster spots for one start, uh, because that spot has to come from somewhere. That's you know part of the reason the teams can do it in the low levels of the minors is because they may have eleven position players. You know they they may have a backup catcher, a backup infielder, and a fourth outfielder, and that's it. And then the bullpen is full, um, so you can get away with it. You know here in the the Midwest League, but at the big league level, trying to play without that roster spot would create some real challenges those other four days until that tandem comes up again. And so I'm not saying Brewers won't try it. Um, Certainly they have opportunities where it makes sense to do so. But as a long-term strategy, it really strains um, the other guys that are on your roster um, losing that roster spot that way.
1: The offensive we can you know, everybody wants to focus in on the game where Wade Miley was lifted earlier. The decision to continue to go back to Jeremy Jeffress and I had no problem with with either of those decisions. I understand the people who did, uh, but I would I would respectfully disagree with them. And I don't know where you stand on all that, but at the end of the day. The reason the team's not playing in the World Series is because of offensive inconsistencies. What do you think that David Stearns maybe takes away, or if anything at all, what, what do you take away from a seven-game series loss to the Dodgers where the offense struggled at times and uh, kind of a, apply that to the moves that are being made in the offseason?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think if you're going to look at the reason this team lost this series to the Dodgers, you're going to look at the fact that I believe they scored seven runs over their four losses in that series. Um, It's going to be really difficult to beat anybody when you're doing that. Um, And and so, yeah, I I think there might be, um, coming into this winter, um, if the Brewers do make moves this winter, and I think there are some questions about how many moves they're going to make, but if they do make moves this winter, yeah, offensive consistency is a thing that I think they've been looking for, you know, all the way back um, since before I started covering the team in 2008. Um, I, I think that's always been um, a criticism of this franchise is that there's been, you know, kind of all or nothing guys on this team, and certainly there are fewer of them than there used to be. Uh, but nonetheless, if you have days where, you know, when Lorenzo Cain goes 0 for 5. Um, It does become relatively difficult for the offense to produce behind it because they depend on him that much. And so consistency, I think, is probably something you will see them look for if they get an opportunity to. Um, but the biggest challenge this winter for this team might just be, you know, how big is the budget? Because even if they decide to non-tender a guy like Jonathan Scope, and, you know, it, there seems to be some mixed opinion on whether or not they're going to go that route. And even if they don't bring back Mike Moustakis, um, by the time you factor in guys getting raises for arbitration, guys with guaranteed contracts, this is a Brewer team that has an opening day payroll right now for next year of about $102 million. Um, so, you know, what they're going to do this winter and how much they can add really depends on whether or not they can shed any of that and how much more they're willing to spend.
1: Where So you mentioned them. Let's, let's go through so three of the guys that could garner a somewhat large salary next year that are not guaranteed to be back. Jonathan Scope, Joaquin Soria, both those guys you would expect to be at about $10 million. And then Mike Mustakis has that mutual option at uh, $14, 15 whatever it is, with the $1 million buyout. Where would you, If you're the one making the decisions, where do you go with those three guys at those three numbers?
2: Uh, for me, I have no interest in bringing back Jonathan Scope at $10 million. Um, and I'm very surprised to hear – I guess I'm not surprised, but I am – yeah, I guess I will say I am surprised that I think the Brewers are considering that, and I think the only reason to really consider bringing back Jonathan Scope this year is that clearly the Brewers thought pretty highly of him back in July, or they wouldn't have traded away all they traded away to get him. Um, but right now, that trade looks pretty thoroughly like a sunk cost, and coming into a year where the budget might be tight, uh, that ten million dollars certainly looks like a dollar figure that could be utilized elsewhere, um, and, and I think is option for 2019 is kind of a similar story. Um, this is a, a guy who, you know, it's, it's not like he added nothing to the Brewer bullpen. He was a, a useful piece for this team. But $10 million is an awful lot to commit to a guy who might be the fourth or fifth best arm in your bullpen. Um, and, and so I can't see the Brewers, um, you know, spending that kind of money on that kind of player. Um, the Mustakis one is probably the most interesting of the three, uh, because, uh, Moustakas had a, a really nice stretch run with the Brewers. He had a pretty nice postseason as well. Um, there is reason for him to believe that if he hits the free agent market, there probably is some money out there for him. Uh, but there was probably also reason for him to believe he was going to get paid last winter, and he didn't. Um, and so, you know, he pretty clearly makes the Brewers better at this point. And so, there's some incentive there for the Brewers to offer him their half of that 15 million option, and there's certainly an incentive for him to accept it. Um, and, and avoid the uncertainty that he went through last win. And so I think um, if I were making the moves, yes, yeah, Scope and Soria are out, and I think I would try to retain Mike Moustakis at this point.
1: And if you bring Moustakis back for a year, you keep Shaw at second, and also because Moustakis for only one year, you're not committing to anything long-term. He's kind of tied to that second-base position because of Shaw being able to move between the two, and Keston Hira is going to get there at some point in time if you lock in Moustakis for four years or something and you got Shaw locked in for a little while then all of a sudden there's kind of a you're you're blocking Hira. Moustakis for one year doesn't block Keston as much and I, uh, that has to be part of their thinking as well.
2: Yeah I, I think the middle infield is going to have some really interesting decisions for the Brewers this winter because you know, if they decide to bring back Mustakas, it is effectively a commitment that they either think Travis Shaw can play second base or that they're going to move him this winter. Uh, because he would have to play there probably more often than not to make room for Moustakis. Um And yeah, Keston Hira is going to be a factor at that position probably before too long. He's having a really great Arizona Fall League this year. He had a really great season at the Double A level. He has continued to meet every challenge the Brewers have shown him. He probably should get an invitation to big league spring training. Um, and He probably should get some consideration to make the roster at some point next season. And so uh, just about anybody you put at that second-base position is probably keeping the seat warm for him at this point. And then on the other side of the infield, Orlando Arcia. is going to be a really interesting decision for the Brewers this winter uh, because they really need to figure out um, who is the real Orlando Arcia, the guy they had to send down to the minors, um, the, the guy they really did not get much out of until about September 1st, or the guy who was a, a force for them you know, through September and in the postseason that was a big part of the reason they were successful. Um, and, and it's really, you know, when you're at kind of the, the peak of the rebuild and you're, you're in the window to contend, um, it's really difficult to justify um, putting a lot of faith in a guy who may or may not be productive uh, like
1: Garcia has been. Garcia is an interesting thing because for you know, coming out of last year, you thought he was going to be perfectly fine offensively this year after he hit 270 or so and then he did nothing as you mentioned and then all of a sudden he comes alive in the postseason and he does seem to have that, you know, the quote-unquote clutch gene, like people like to say. and But you could still tell that the team wasn't completely confident, it, even when he was swinging the bat pretty well. They were keeping him low in the order. There were times where they were pinch-hitting for him in big situations. Like It was clear that their confidence with him had not quite lifted to maybe the point of where you thought it would be based off what he was doing at that moment offensively. And they, I believe Craig Council said in his end-of-season press conference that they're going to kind of be – I'm I'm paraphrasing, but they're going to be you know really looking at the month of September and more specifically the run in October in the postseason and try to figure out what he was doing there that they can replicate going into next season. We know what he can do defensively. He's a guy that the organization has invested a lot of developmental time in, and I think that's important. I think when you bring a guy through the system and you get him to the big leagues and there's expectations, maybe you give him a little bit of a longer leash to be a contributor to the organization because of what you've the, the resources that you've put into him. But at the same side, he can't go and hit, you know, 180 for the better part of the next three months of the season. Like that, it can't be a repeat of what happened this year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this has to be challenging for the Brewers because when you look at Garcia's track record in the big leagues, there are already very clear indications that he can be a very good big leaguer. Like if the Brewers were to take, you know, the the most drastic possible step right now and just release him there is a strong possibility he goes up and had a really nice career for somebody else. Um, but because of the way his learning curve has gone, and because of the tremendous valleys he has already had in his big league career, it is difficult for a team that's expecting to contend to just pencil him in. Uh, because if he has the first five months of this season, again next year, um, he is going to be a real detriment to this team.
1: Um, so... Uh... Some of the guys who maybe did not play as well down the stretch and just their futures and everything. Let's start with somebody who wasn't even on the postseason roster in Chase Anderson. Where does the team go forward with a guy like him?
2: Yeah, I think um, the Brewers signed Chase Anderson to that small extension uh, not that long ago. He has guaranteed money on the books for next year. And he is perhaps the best example of why a guy with a couple years of arbitration remaining uh, does not bet on himself and takes that guaranteed money. Because if he was not guaranteed money for next year, um, he would be on a really rocky footing on this roster. Um, With all the starting options that the Brewers have for next year. And it would be very difficult for the Brewers to justify non-tendering their opening day starter, but they'd be in a good position to do it um so with anderson having guaranteed money i think that the, the brewers you know probably bring him to camp next year um give him an opportunity to demonstrate that he is more prepared to handle the workload of a full season he's still a guy who's never pitched more than about 140 innings in the major league season um and, and he needs to come in and have a big camp next year uh because he is he is not guaranteed a spot at this point. He is not a guy that I think should be guaranteed a spot at this point, um, based on the volume of talent behind him. He is clearly a guy who can be an effective big league starter sometimes. But going back to what we said about Orlando Arcia, or you know, when you've got a team that's at in their window to win, uh, there's only so many roster spots you can afford to gamble on a guy that you think may be good. You know, you, you kind of need guys you can count on a little more than the Brewers have been able to count on him.
1: Jeremy Jeffress, and it's uh, his postseason's a really interesting postseason to look at for multiple reasons. Uh, it started off he had adversity, but he had adversity where there was a lot of soft contact, and then uh, he he had some good performances, but also he had some not so good performances, and uh, there were there were moments where he looked bad, but it, it didn't seem like it was bad, and moments where it looked bad, and. It was bad, and I mean, there was just there's a lot going on with Jeremy Jeffress, and he was so good during the regular season. Uh, He had the deal with Game 163 where he wasn't able to play. Uh, It's been reported that that was uh, due to uh, epilepsy that he has fought, and it seems like that's a uh, I I I want to like yell that to the mountaintops because I'm still seeing people on social media talk about the mystery surrounding Game 163, like something bad was going on, and dude has epilepsy like there's he. he's done a really nice job of managing it but he had an outbreak or whatever I don't even know the terminology but something happened that day related to it so I I say all that to say Jeremy Jeffress your thoughts go
2: yeah I think you know when you talk about teams that rely on their bullpen heavily uh, one of the arguments against relying on your bullpen heavily is that sometimes when you get to the stretch run Uh, some of your best guys are not everything you'd like them to be anymore because they've been ridden hard for a really long time. Um, and Jeffress is the perfect example of how that sometimes can happen because the Brewers used Jeffress a ton this year in a variety of roles. Um, starting him off in kind of that middle-inning role as the the closer for the starters, I believe Craig Council called it. Um, he's been effective in so many different spots. He made the all-star game as a non-closer. Um, you know, he was a, a guy who was a closer for this team. Had a really nice run in there. Um, he qualified for the Brewers Wall of Honor this year. Um, you know, he was a, a big part of what made this team successful for a really long time. But when you look at the workload and the way the Brewers used him, and the frequency with which they used him, it is perhaps not shocking that by the time the Brewers got to October, there was not a lot left in his tank. Um, and, and we saw, you know, his velocity was kind of up and down. He did get, um, you know, hit around a little bit on weak contact. He had a lot of ground balls get through. Um, some flares that got over the infield that were just weak contact that fell in. Um, and, and, yeah, he put himself, you know, because of that, he ended up in some bad situations. His control abandoned them a little bit at times. But when you look at the overall body of work, um, Jeremy Jeffers is a big part of the reason the Brewers were in a position to win those postseason games. Um, you know, because of what he had done all through the year to get them there. And so I think um, you know, we talked a little bit about Chase Anderson as a, a guy who probably made himself some money by taking a long term deal. Um Jefferson the guy who cost himself some money with his deal with the Brewers this year because he has an option for next year that is much less than what he would have gotten via arbitration. Um he's a big part of the reason this brewer team was successful. And I think um you have to hope that this doesn't linger in his mind um and that he can come to camp next year. Um, with an opportunity to build upon a really great season, um, and not be hampered by the way it ended, um, but I think the Brewers have every reason to give him an opportunity to be one of the most prominent guys in this bullpen again next year.
1: The catcher's position's interesting, you know. Manny Peña had an okay year. It, it didn't start off great. It got better. They bring in Eric Kratz and he did a really nice job, but uh, he's an older guy. Jacob Nottingham's around. You don't know if they believe in him yet as being a guy who can be on the 25-man roster, you know, from from day number 1 and that could be an area where they internally say okay this is an area we can upgrade and maybe they're uh, maybe that's you know the few bucks that they have to spend in the off season. maybe they do look at a catcher I think it's a lot maybe you'll disagree with this I think it's a lot tougher to predict any of those guys situations because to me that's a spot that maybe seems more up in the air than others would you agree
2: yeah I think that's probably true I mean I think When you look at the playing time decisions and, you know, some of the roster management that went into it, um, the amount that Eric Kratz played in 2018 is fascinating. Um, Because the the Brewers had Manny Pena, you know, at the very least on the active roster, if not available, in an awful lot of games where they decided to use Eric Kratz instead. Um. Now, Pena, um, it seemed like got hit by foul tips more often than usual this year. It seemed like he was pretty banged up through a lot of the year, um, but the Brewers did not seem um, all that reluctant to use a 38-year-old longtime journeyman catcher um, more often than he had ever played in the big leagues before, um, and I think that says um, something about what they thought about Pena for the as the short and long-term solution at that position, um, and so. Yeah, I I would not be at all surprised if the Brewers flagged that as a a potential position to upgrade. I I think um, despite all the success that Eric Kratz had and despite all the big moments that he was a part of, um, counting on him that often again next year as a 39-year-old would probably not be a good bet. Um, Jacob Nottingham's stock does seem to have risen a little bit within the last year, but I don't think the Brewers are ready to hand a, a big role. Um, in the the catching spot to him at this point. And, yeah, I mean, Manny Pena, he is still relatively young within the organization, but he's not actually that young. He's he's a guy who's into his early 30s. He is not the long-term answer at this position. So if the Brewers get an opportunity this winter to look at um, somebody who might be in that role for three or four years, that would give them some stability that they don't have right now. Um, at that spot and it would maybe give them an opportunity to have some confidence in that position that they won't need to shuffle through as many guys as they have the last couple of years.
1: Last thing for you this past week, the news of the week was a couple coaches are, are moving on. Uh, they accept the resignation of hitting coach uh, Darnell Coles. Uh, they do not uh, extend the contract of uh, bullpen coach uh, Lee Tunnel. so essentially Tunnel was not asked back. If If the Coles thing would have happened just it and not the tunnel thing I would have said that maybe they had suggested to Darnell Coles that it was time to move on but the fact that uh, basically in the same release they refer to him as a resignation and the other as the the contract not being extended I feel like maybe it, re- it legitimately was a decision by Darnell Coles to move on and, and obviously Lee Tunnel wasn't his choice to do that but what was your takeaway from those that news that uh, those two coaches are not going to be back on the staff next year?
2: It's interesting certainly, um, just because of the, the timing. A that it comes at a time when the Brewers have been pretty successful. Um and so really I, I don't think I mean I, I'm sure you, as you mentioned before on the text line, hear lots more clamoring for the firing of coaches than I do. Um but I, I didn't see, you know, anyone kinda of pressing for these guys to go. Um I, I think for the most part it was a a relatively widely held assumption that these guys were doing a pretty good job. Um and, and so and that the timing of it is very interesting, and it's also notable because it had been a long time since anything had changed on this Brewer coaching staff. Uh, this was a group that had been static. Um, some of these guys have been in their roles all the way back to Ron Renike. Um but you know the ones that have been there under counsel have been there pretty steadily for a long time. And so I'll be curious to see uh, what direction the Brewers choose to go with these guys um, and if it you know kind of tips their hand at all in terms of what they were looking for that they weren't getting uh, from the guys that they had. Um, you know, at the very least, yeah, it seemed like these guys were doing a pretty good job. They had been brewers for a long time, and so in that regard, it is kind of bittersweet to see them go.
1: It's funny. I So first off, nobody ever calls for the firing of a bullpen coach because nobody knows what a bullpen coach does. So that's that's sure. one thing I've never seen. But I did. I got a lot of people saying that the hitting coach needs to be fired, and it was during the season, and it was it was always the same thing. It was always related to the situational stuff, the not getting runners over, the not scoring runners from third with less than two outs. And I'm not going to tell you the the Brewers are great at that. But right. they also weren't the worst at it either. Like that's a that's not an issue that's related specifically to Milwaukee. That's a that's a era of baseball where we're living in right now, where strikeouts are not viewed as bad as strikeouts previously reviewed, and people are swinging hard and swinging for home runs and swinging for doubles. Now I think even in the World Series we've seen with the Red Sox how putting the ball in play can be so incredibly valuable when you compare that to a Dodgers team that has more of that approach of swinging for the fences. Uh, but no. I, it is funny you say that because I, I heard it a lot. I heard a lot of clamoring where fans out there did not like the hitting coach, but it was always because of the situational stuff.
2: Well, and some of that, in fact, so much of that is personnel-based. You know, I, I think, you know, when a guy strikes out with runners in scoring position, yeah, it's easy to say, boy, you would like to see him put the ball in play there and advance those guys. But if that guy had hit a home run, nobody would be talking about it. You know, it would be, boy, he hit a three-run home run today. What a great piece of hitting. His hitting coach must be a genius. Um, And so, yeah, the the Brewers have accumulated, and this has been the case for as long as I've been covering the team and I think probably for as long as I've been alive. Uh, This is a Brewer team that has accumulated a lot of power guys, but because of the power, they have some swing and miss in their game. Um, And so that's always going to be, you know, if you want a team that hits home runs, um, you're going to sacrifice some contact and you're going to sacrifice some you know, situational stuff to get there. That's that's just how that goes. You can't have both. Um, there are only so many Joey Vados in this world. In fact, I believe there is just one um, that can hit for power and still be great average hitters with you know great pitch selection um, and the ability to put the ball in play when they need it. That's just not a skill that everyone can pick up. Most of these guys at every level are trying to focus on doing one thing, and right now, where you find that value is by hitting for power, even if it means you strike out a little more often.
1: I also think you need to – and I know I'm holding you for a long time, so I'll get you out of here in just a second. But uh, I think it's important to note – who guys were when they got to the Brewers and who guys were as Brewers. And you can look at a, sure. a Jesus Aguilar. My guy, look at a Christian Yellich. Like He was a really good player in Miami, but he wasn't an MVP, and he was. And yeah, there's, a, there's the Jonathan Scopes of the world. I'm not trying to run away from the fact that there certainly are some guys who have gotten to Milwaukee and have not performed at the same level. But for the most part, hitters became better hitters with Darnell Coles than they were before they got to Milwaukee. And that's got to be, at the end of the day, the number one way that you judge a hitting coach. Yeah,
2: I think that's absolutely true. Um, and certainly, in absolutely every case with every coach, there are going to be guys that they resonate with and guys that they don't. Um, you know, that there are going to be guys that any hitting coach can identify a thing that they could do better, and there are going to be guys they just don't connect with as well for whatever reason. Um, and that's true in every line of work I've ever seen. Um, but with the Brewers, yeah, it certainly seems like there have been some guys that have come to this organization. And, I mean, Lorenzo Kane had one of the best offensive years of his career this year and did it in a very different way from how he had ever done it before and I think surprised a lot of people. And so, yeah, I, I think when you look at, you know, this is an organization And how much of this belongs to the coaching staff is questionable, but this is an organization that for three years in a row now has done a very good job of getting more than they expected um, from guys with track records that suggest that they would not be this good.
1: All right, so we said at the top, you can be read right at the Timber Rattlers website. I know you've done some stuff already uh, this off season with some of the, the things going on uh, with, with some of the minor leaguers. can be uh, read at the Shepherd Express, also the Milwaukee Record. You just did a two-part series going back through the most memorable moments of this past season. Uh, give a plug for all places and all things Kyle Loebner, where people can consume all the different stuff you're doing.
2: Well, let's start out. Uh, for folks that are listening to this on Monday morning, you can stop by ShepherdExpress.com today and catch the On Deck Circle. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about Orlando Arcea, and if you listen to this podcast today, then some of the stuff we talk about about Orlando Arcia, at Shepherd Express tomorrow will sound pretty familiar, um, because we're going to try to take a look at you know the the two Orlando Arceas from 2019, or for 2018, and, and how that works for the Brewers for 2019. Um, at TimberRadlers.com, I will have a new feature up this week in the Frosty Micro Brewers feature. We're continuing some of the stuff I worked on for my trip to Arizona a few weeks ago. Um, this week, we are looking at some of the guys who were rehabbing down in the desert while I was down there a few weeks ago, including Jimmy Nelson, um, but also a, a couple of guys that uh, Brewer fans may recognize as well as prospects, and Devin Williams and Andrew Vernon. Um, And, yeah, you can find me at Milwaukee Record. I've got my two-part season recap up there looking at the moments I added to my Today in Brewer history calendar this year. Um, It turned out to be a, a really fun way to review the season.
1: Great stuff, uh, people can find you on Twitter at least for the time being at Brew Frosty Mug that might be changing so uh, if, uh, if he's not there, just do a search for Kyle Loebner and uh, you'll be able to find him without too much of a problem. And you know what without just follow him. Just follow him on Twitter and uh, then you don't even have to worry about what his Twitter handle is. Kyle, always appreciate the time. thank you for being so so uh, for being so gracious with your time and uh, we'll catch up again here uh, as the offseason continues.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Always good
1: to talk to you. Kyle Loebner joining us on the program, and we appreciate him taking some time. I know I said this last week and I uh, did not get to it this week, but we will be doing our full review of the minor league season that we like to do uh, all the time with uh, – I say all the time. Last year was the first time we did it because we're in our second full year of uh, the podcast, but uh, we've done it with uh, Brad Ford from uh, Brew Crew Ball. We like really doing a deep dive on uh, the – the minor league season. And even though the season's been over for a while, we'll still do that because I think it's uh, it's fun for me to do. And it's fun to really look back at the season that was and the performances that we saw across the minor league level. So I promise you uh, that's probably going to be a three-part uh, conversation that is going to be coming up in uh, future episodes of the podcast. But for now, uh, that's just about uh, going to do it. A reminder for you, you can continue to uh, hear Brewers weekly on WTMJ on Thursday nights now that's assuming there's not a Packers game on a Thursday night or also that there's uh, not a Bucks game in fact this upcoming Thursday there is going to be a Bucks game on Thursday night so we won't have the show this week but for the most part Thursday nights from eight o'clock to nine o'clock, we are talking all things uh, Brewers baseball on WTMJ. So I hope you get to uh, continue to uh, to uh, be able to listen to that, and we will post those shows here on the podcast uh, page after it uh, after it happens. Also, uh, not that this is Brewers related, but certainly it, it does impact. Uh, a place that Brewers fans are going to be able to go consume more content. Uh, the the new owners of WTMJ Good Karma Brands made a pretty big announcement uh, this past week that uh, 94.5 FM is going to uh, become ESPN Milwaukee. What is currently on 540 AM is going to be migrating to 94.5 FM and eventually Uh, The two signals are going to have unique content for a while. It's going to be a simulcast. But uh, the first full-time FM sports station in the Milwaukee area, this isn't uh, a translator, which is a radio term, or kind of a a weaker type signal. 94.5 FM is a big-time signal, and you're going to have 24-7 sports content, ESPN Milwaukee on 94.5 FM. That's going to be starting on November 1st. So as you are... Uh, If you are in the Milwaukee area and going uh, out pretty far, you are going to be able to hear ESPN Milwaukee on 94.5 FM Thursday, November 1st is when that happens. That's pretty exciting and pretty big news. All right, that's it. Uh, Thank you for listening. Enjoy doing this. We are going to continue to uh, focus on kind of this dual thing of looking back and looking forward here for a while as uh, the end of the season still seems very, very fresh but a lot of things to talk about going into next season. We'll talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.